Uh, hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. So I had the idea of going through kind of an end of the year questions and kind of looking back at the weird last year and looking forward and just uh, going through the list. So to kick it off, this is the idea section. So what's a space you're keeping an eye on? You know, we can talk about audio and we, we always do, but the other space that I'm really interested in is, is automation. I mean, we have a sort of a separate business in, in the sort of portfolio of the studio. If to, I don't know, I'm making things up, right? So I'm saying there's a studio. We, we work with the same group of people on a lot of the uh, different businesses. And another one in this space is called Formulated and it's an RPA, really an automation company. And I've, over the last year, dug into this space like a tick. And I really think it's, I mean, it's been getting uh, a lot of traction in the last couple of years. You know, it's like one of those uh, gardeners predicting it to, to continue growing and continue to be a, a big part of IT spend. But in general, like in my day-to-day life, you, you see it more and more. And I guess it's one of those things where like, if you, that recency bias where like once you see automation at work, you start seeing it everywhere. But I've been putting into, into practice on my daily sort of, things that I do every day. And as I have been coding myself out of those jobs, it's, it's made a huge difference. So automation in general, like it doesn't have to be RPA, but like that is a great gateway to how do you um, implement AI and machine learning into sort of your work. And that's a great gateway to do that in my mind. And so I've been really interested in the space, uh, you know, part of another podcast in the space uh, called the formulated automation podcast, but that's been my big 2020, you know, hobby interest. That's quickly turning into a new job. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I can't, I'm kind of coming at it from a different direction. So automation was one of my answers as well. I've kind of been obsessed with this idea of humans being under levered in America for yeah. quite a while. And I think that could take two different versions. Like I think everyone should start processizing what they do. And so writing down everything that they're doing, and then you could either hire someone in the Philippines to do it for like a few dollars an hour and the average American makes like, I don't know, $25 an hour or something like that. So I think that's a no brainer or you could do with tech, which is more of what formulated is focused on. And then yeah, since you're, you kind of took automation, I was going to say the creator economy generally. So we're kind of, I, I mean, proving we believe in these spaces with our time and decisions, but uh, I think you're just going to see more and more businesses that are built, like helping people monetize their knowledge. I think everyone kind of has knowledge inside them that they could start making money on. And the pandemic has kind of shown that it's pretty risky just working for an employer for 20 years and you know they could fire you at any time. So kind of going that independent route and that is probably the easiest way to go the independent route. Yeah. You know, I had this conversation with some friends over this little holiday break and one in particular around just like having control over your your destiny to a certain extent it's like you you've worked somewhere one of my close friends awesome dude has worked at a company since college right, right out of college and so what we're like 12 years 13 years out of that now or at least for for me and he's still there and you know he's got a great reputation there and but you could fathom a world especially with the pandemic thankfully he has not been affected but there's always this fear of like well you could just you know, they could just decide this isn't the direction they're going. And, uh, you know, it's always a scary thing. So having some control over your, and talking about, you know, creator economy, that's 
we always talk about in the sense of like, you know, podcasts, audio courses, something that you're teaching someone else, but there's also this whole Etsy world, right? This whole world of like, you know, you can start to make a friend of mine makes a really cool adaptation for 2020 was uh, like luxury necklaces that are actually clip on mask holders. So it's like, you know, anything that you can be doing to gaining additional streams of income, I think is, is awesome. And whether it takes over as a full-time thing or not, you know, the ability that, people now have due to the internet to be able to monetize that is, is killer. That's like, makes me so happy. Then how about, so what's the opposite? What's a, a popular trend <laughs> that you're not a believer in? <laughs> um, I would say in part, some of the, the junk that's out there in the same thing, this creator economy, I would say, you know, it, I'm not trying to be controversial or anything right now, but I think my experience with Avocado in 2020, we saw some creators that, are using the creator economy to, I don't know, further their platform of nothingness. It's just like trying <laughs> to get people, you know, it's a platform of buzzwords and, you know, I'm not trying to name any names. I'm really struggling to give examples here to not name names, but I think there's a lot of people that are regurgitating people like Tony Robbins that are regurgitating a lot of the same messaging, but without the meat, you know, there's like what you would see in a commercial and you really never get, you take their courses or are tempted to take their courses and there's nothing there. It's a whole lot of like, you know, how I made my, my first five, $10 million or how do I build a hundred thousand dollar a month business? And it's always just, and I shouldn't say it's always the ones that the cases where I think this is like an anti-trend it's, it's just noise. It's, you know, getting up and getting, you know, 12 hours of sleep isn't going to, it, there's just not enough meat to that. There's note taking in a certain way or, you know, drinking or eating a certain way and intermittent fasting. There's, there's just sort of this caricature right now of the creator that I wish would go away. That's like the antithesis of what we were just talking about, which is just like a little bit of uh, more so snake oil or sort of the carpet bagger of the era where it's, you know, promising or demonstrating that they have these amazing gains, but the way that they get the gains is to get idiots to buy their course and then they really get nothing out of it. So the hot take here, I think, was our revelation around Ty Lopez, who I thought was that kind of person. So it, I'm not making a, a really clear statement here, but I, you know, looking at Ty Lopez, somebody who's creating or on the surface made it seem like it's it was sort of a bullshit course. And listening to him have a conversation, it sounds like his course was actually super successful. People, it was a money back guarantee, and people really did find value out of it. And so, you know it's, it's this really like wild west space. And I think in part of it, that's one of the worst trends that I've seen in 2020 it's people trying to take advantage of this sort of like benevolent, I shouldn't say entirely benevolent because people are charging for it, right? There's a, a value being exchanged for uh, a course or some piece of content, but uh, it seems like it's really easy to get sort of hoodwinked <laughs> by some creators out there. So that's one of the trends that I wish would go away. Um, but I don't think you can bifurcate it from the the sort of good content. And I guess I'm being completely subjective in what I'm calling the good content, but that's my, that's my one. I guess if I had to distill it down, there was a series and I haven't seen this come on, come through my feed in a while, but there's a series of like TikTok uh, creators that were like dancing their way to, with these little captions of like how to make a you know million dollar business. And it was just like save and like, don't go out to eat. And it was like, what? 
are you talking about? It was so confusing. So that's, that's in, in a sense, an indication of the trend that I'd love to see go away. I, yeah, I think it has to. Like, there is just so much more quality online courses going on nowadays. So I, that's what people always associated with online courses historically, but I, I feel like it's changing. That's a good one. So my popular trend that I'm not a believer in is cycling as a workout. <laughs> I just, I mean, Peloton is obviously blown up during COVID. It's like a, an easy at-home workout. I just think it's so unnatural to spin your legs in a little circle. <laughs> and I, that's yeah. like the bulk of your exercise. I love, so I have a Peloton. Um, I love the competition of it and like competing, but I, and I'm a big believer in Peloton as a company. I think the boot camps on the treadmill is really good. I think the yoga classes are great. Uh, I just don't think, you know, I, so many people like this is the form of at-home exercise that they should be doing. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I'm literally going to PT on a weekly basis now because of my Peloton and my, I guess, poor form, but just spending way too much time on it. You know, 45, I got really into it when, uh, you know, the, the pandemic kicked in and I guess I was just doing it wrong or had bad form. I am who knows, but I couldn't agree more that it's, it should not be the, the only form of exercise. My, yeah, my, my hips just hurt thinking about the Peloton, but yeah, that, that's something that I think people were lucky enough to get before or have, but I, you know, I, I just wish that it was, uh, as easy as like, you know, getting a great weight set up. Like that seems to be the, the, the ultimate home gym pandemic setup, the the true sign of success for 2020 was having like a really good, like a squat rack in your house. Ooh. Yeah. These are all like my favorite purchases that we'll get into later, but I, I just uh, like weightlifting, you need a trainer and most people haven't had the luxury of like being taught how to weightlift properly. So cycling, I think is just significantly more approachable to everyone, even if it's not ideal. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I would be, it'd be awesome if more people got trained in weightlifting. I think that's way better or HIT or some yeah. variation of that. Yeah. So how about your favorite new podcast? So I don't know if this one was born in 2020. It might've been, it was new to me. And, and I know that it was, it came out, I think closer to like the end of 2019, but it was, it's called Necronomapod and it's silly and dumb and puts me to sleep, but I, I really enjoy it. So this is a show that's basically about either paranormal stories or horror stories. And there are three hosts kind of can't stand the, you know, part of it. It's just kind of like, uh, for lack of a better term, like dick and fart jokes and just like silliness. But then there's one person who's researched all these stories. So for example, like the Lizzie Borden story, or uh, they go into like John Wayne Gacy and they'll do these like in-depth uh, analysis and research around the, the true story. Actually, I'll go back to one was the John Bennett Ramsey story, which is like the equivalent of you know, you'll see this on like daytime TV or or like Lifetime Channel where they talk about you know here was the case, but they do a really good job of research and analysis on the story and, and actually give like a recount of here's what actually happened. And so that's been my guilty pleasure and new podcast for the year that's really kept me sleeping on a better schedule. Like I listened to it before bed and. Uh, you know, that's been pretty instrumental for my sleep, but it, I'm not listening to it because it puts me to sleep. It, it does, it, but it, it, it really is like uh, super enjoyable. And, and I've been, I've been digging that. So it's something completely outside of industry or work or, you know, in furthering my skills, just purely enjoyment. Uh, that's a good one. So my, mine is my first million. Uh, so I'm kind of obsessed with these like tech bros that are always sharing and jamming on new ideas. 
uh, so some ideas are bad for sure, but it's just fun to think of the analysis of the different businesses that they talk about and you know variations or possibilities that come from it. So definitely squarely work focused, but I'm really enjoying You hit it. me to that show and I'm a fan. I listen to that on, on a pretty regular basis. They're really good. I, I was very skeptical. I think the first one you sent me was the Ty Lopez interview. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up having some other people on. They're talking about all these things that we're reading about on Twitter, right? And they, they give a face to it. And it's actually really solid. And I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. So, so thanks for, for hitting me to that one. Yeah. The quick take analysis of businesses is generally really good. They definitely have some where I would love to be like, no, 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 this is a bad business for this, this, and this, <laughs> but it's just fun brainstorming. It used to be more of a, an interview podcast than like how someone made their first million, which is kind of boring. Mm. And then they just pivoted to brainstorms with just the two guys or bringing other people on to brainstorm. And it's a lot more fun. Um, so how about your favorite new newsletter? Yeah, actually, I think it was one of the crew one of the authors or one of the hosts from my first million i is it shane shan yeah shane shane puri shane puri yeah i think it's his podcast i would caveat all my newsletters sorry his newsletter uh i'd caveat all my newsletters with i don't really read them i I sign up for them but i just anything that i have terrible email organization and actually listening to their show recently they had uh the ceo of superhuman on and that inspired me. I'm going to maybe try that out because my, my email inbox is just, I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different inboxes, different companies, different, you know, <laughs> stages of my life or domains I haven't killed. So, and then within each of those, and they're all I'm pretty sure every single one is a Google workspace. Um, and I, yeah, so it's a mess. I don't read my email because I'm just too busy digging out of it, but his is so far has been really good. I've actually have read and taken gotten some good takeaways on that i think he calls himself like the framework don which i appreciate that's pretty awesome but yeah that that's been one of my favorites i think early on i subscribed to god i can't remember the it wasn't superhuman it was something similar to that where they had a series of newsletters and i I had to just stop because i would get like four or five a week and i'm like you know got to catch up on the weekend which is pretty pretty tough for me it seems, yeah, unsustainable, like the number of sub stacks out there. I'd love if it just went directly to my Insta paper and I could just, you know, read it in the future. Yeah. Um, but my favorite newsletter, new one is Packy McCormick's Not Boring. So he bills himself as like Bill Simmons mixed with Ben Thompson. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's like strategy of tech companies and like pretty deep dives, like think 20 to 30 minutes of reading. And he does a great job and then he turns them all into podcasts. So he just reads through it. So with like all these sub stacks that I don't ever get to, I always get to his because it's mm. just super easy to consume 20 to 30 minutes of audio instead. Um, I really appreciate that. How do that. I find that? That that sounds interesting. That I, I think I would actually consume. What is the name of it again? Uh, notboring.email is his <laughs> website for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I don't know that. if I okay. know this guy somehow. He's around my age. It seems like we have a ton of mutual friends, but I'm not sure how I stumbled across him initially. That yeah, that's interesting. Um, how about you? What what's your latest uh, new? So for 2020, your new Twitter follow. You're you're pretty active on Twitter. Yeah, I am super active on Twitter. That's something I really invested in this year. Not just consuming, but like creating on it. And something I want to continue with is like one decent tweet a day. So I kind of got into this like SMB 
Twitter, I guess you'd call it. Like all these people that are interested in acquiring small businesses. You know, initially, mm. obviously I wrote that piece on Andrew Wilkinson that it has gotten a great response. And I get a lot of inbound people talking about that. But my favorite new Twitter follow is probably Sweaty Startup. This guy, I think his name's Nick Huber. So he buys self-storage facilities in like third tier mm. small towns. And he basically automates them. And he seems to be doing very, very well with it. He makes all his financials pretty public. And wow. I, I'm kind of intrigued by this SMB asset class as more baby boomers are retiring. And there's just going to be so many small businesses that are going to market. So I kind of like this thought of, you know, we have our like barbell approach, basically. We have a risky startups that we're working on, maybe blow up, maybe you know, get really big or go to zero. And then like complementing that with kind of boring real estate or SMBs that you could kind of hire a manager to run and kind of operate independently and will slowly compound over time. Yeah, I dig, I dig the self-storage business. It, it, I mean, I think when I first realized how good it was, was the, we had done uh, at a prior studio, we dug into the space. What was it from Marie Kondo's book? When she, when that book started reaching its sort of like peak uh, popularity, we were starting to look at like, okay, are people going to start, you know, do they need help cleaning up and cleaning out their houses? And, and the conclusion from that, it was another team that ran the, the business for what, eight months or so. And it was just people don't want to get rid of their stuff, even if they read the book and they think it's a great idea and they go through the process, they still have so much stuff. And it's so much easier to accumulate and get a storage unit and pay 200 bucks a month on it. And for the self-storage companies that that market's there, that's a great business. So it's big fan, <laughs> big fan of that approach. But in terms of my, uh, you know, I am less active on Twitter. I check it, I read it and I, I'm more of like a lurker. That's kind of more of my, my profile. I would say the gentleman, what is his name? Jack Butcher. That's been a very interesting follow. At first it was, you know, some interesting little uh, illustrations. I feel like that, at least at the point when I was, uh, following him. Um, and then it's turned into this, what I understand is like a framework for running a business or starting a business. So it sounds like somebody who is preaching this leverage mentality, which is awesome. Big believer in, you know, building once, selling twice, you know, that that's a great piece of feedback, but the way he's doing it seems to be really unique and nuanced. And he's, you know, teaching people and inspiring people to build businesses online. So I'm all for that. That's been probably one of my my favorite, the, the person I'm screenshotting and, and sending links out to from. And as I go through my my Twitter account, I'm a big bookmarker. And I would say his, uh, I shouldn't say Jack Butcher. It's really the visualized value account. That's probably where I've sent the most uh, screenshots from Twitter from. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, his I, visualized I value is actually bigger than his Jack Butcher account. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was sending, I have a whole bunch of just really... I don't know what the best word for it is. It, it, I mean, it, it articulates really well. I think it resonates with people. You send it out. I mean, beyond that, I love comedy Twitter. Like non-work Twitter is, you know, venture Twitter and uh, internet business Twitter is great. But like comedy Twitter is pretty killer. And so I have to give up, what is it? Caleb Huron. I might be saying his name wrong, but Caleb says things. I think is the account and he is hilarious. And just does a lot of like, um, I wouldn't call monologues per se, but more like Vine style content where it's just him impersonating something and it's been spot on. I think one of my most shared items is like him just being that friend who's super into astrology 
Um, so you have to check that out for yourself. But you know that that I think is one of the underused uh, aspects of Twitter has been comedy. Um, that definitely keeps me uh, coming back and checking out my feed is is filling it up full of you know, younger comedians. I mean, a lot of these people seem like they'd be doing either stand up or getting on shows, and they're out in LA. But um, using this platform is a a good way to to test out their bits, and I don't know, it keeps me cracking up. So that that's definitely my favorite use for Twitter. And then how about the best new software you're using? Ooh, ooh, that's, that's difficult because I'm like very, very set in my ways as somebody who went through, you know, went through the Rome church, the, the sort of rise and fall of Rome, at least that first phase when I think there was an outage at some point. And then I was like, all right, I can't, I, I really got into Rome and then, got into Notion, and then have now kind of fallen back to my normal ways of a notebook and maybe a Trello board or six. But really just loving IntelliJ. I don't know. I've spent a lot of my time writing code, and this is not a new piece of software, but they release a quarterly update, and um, I'm really happy with that. So I'm going to go with the safe and easy answer of my my coding IDE, IntelliJ, the JetBrains, uh, uh, basically code IDE. Okay. How so, about you? Yeah, we... I think we both tested out Rome around the same time, which was like very early at the start of the year. And then they were losing people's content and we both kind of like got spooked and never returned. But I took one weekend and really returned to it. Like I consumed all these courses and dived pretty deep in, not that I'm an expert in any sense, but I've moved everything over there. Probably for like the last four months, I've been doing almost all my work in like thinking in Rome. And then I copy it to email or Slack or Google Docs or whatever as needed. So that has been pretty life-changing to me. I feel like I'm still just scratching the surface, but I've really enjoyed that. And then I use Readwise, which connects Instapaper and like Kindle highlights to Rome and kind of connects everything together as a second brain. So it's the runner up, I guess, but it's required to really use Rome how I currently use it. So there's a methodology that that's built into Rome. It's like, you can use it however you want. The big thing is like these backlinks or, or maybe that's not the right word, but basically like linking ideas and being able to expand. But there was also like a academic methodology that is inspired by it, right? Or that it was built and inspired by. Do you use uh, yeah. it in that context? Uh, no, Zettelcasting is Zettelcasting, the, yeah. the term that they use. Uh, I tried. I don't like anything too formulaic. Like I think mm. Rome works for me because it is free flowing. And you can kind of just connect things as needed, which is more of how I think and operate. And then I, I set up like all those proper shortcuts and like nice structured everything, which is what Tiago Forte recommends, like mm. projects and areas and all this different stuff. I just don't do that. It's just so much extra work. Like I just want to be able to write and think and kind of rediscover my old ideas easier. And that is what it u- is useful for for me. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I dug into it. I'd love to. I just have this weird feeling right now. Like I'm, I'm, and I think it starts with email. I'm just feel really disorganized. I mean, I don't drop, I'm not dropping balls left and right and forgetting anything, but like, just don't feel like I'm feeling very like I'm reacting to things versus being super proactive. And it feels weird. And it feels like it's rooted in emails. Like I have a, this just giant pile of emails that I, I know how to search through, but that feels so gross. And then from there, like the thinking and everything else is just kind of, being notepad and um, sorry, like post-it notes on my monitor, which if you could see right now, there's like six of them, but it just doesn't feel very organized. Cause once you finish those things, you kind of tear them up and throw them away. And it's hard to know like 
where are you going in this? So I need to dig back into Rome. Yeah, I think the easiest way is just doing the daily notes and then tagging things like formulated or avocado, and then you could rediscover. And like mm. what's been actually really useful for me is to-do lists. So you could, you just do a like slash to-do and then you have all your to-dos that you could easily search. And then if you just hashtag them, whatever, you could see all your twos related to avocado or something like that. Right, it's, yeah. So it's uh, easier to not miss stuff that way. Um, that's kind of how I got started. So how about what's the best project this year for you? Uh, I would say avocado. I mean, I had such a, a blast working on it. I mean, we've been talking about the the genesis and the progression of it, but the ability to, I don't know, I, I think we, it, it's checked all the boxes in terms of a builder perspective, like getting people onboarded, getting their feedback, like building to their needs and using a tool set that's been pretty fun to work with. But I'd say distilling that down to sort of one thing in working on avocado, seeing, I think, the what is it a tailwind like the open source ui project that so that's really my answer i mean in working on avocado i got to dig deep into tailwind and it's just changed the way i write like 30 40 percent less code because of it because it has like a great uh, way i can compose my own styles and then they have a sub project built off that that if you use tailwind and you also use avocado you'll notice is it's called Tailwind UI, which is a project I feel like I sponsored. I paid some amount to get access to it early on, and I got a couple of components from it, but they keep adding to it and they keep releasing more stuff. And so it's a really interesting way to see how they're doing open source sort of plus. It's like open source, you can get Tailwind, the tool set for free, but then you can buy this thing called Tailwind UI, which gives you some like pre-designed, pre-composed uh, views, which we use for our navigation and like card displays and a bunch of uh, really useful things that I, I don't know, we didn't have to hire a designer. I mean, maybe the, the UI kind of suffers a little bit, but uh, I feel like everyone that uses it feels like it's polished. It feels like a finished product. It doesn't feel like we're hacking together stuff, which we in fact are. So I would say Tailwind is is definitely the, the big winner for 2020 for me. Uh, yeah. That's a good one. I don't know if I have like a best project. I just like, I think this path that we're going down is going to be really fruitful. I think we have interesting ideas. We have a good team together and we haven't had any wild wins yet, but I just generally like the path that we've chosen of like spinning up these companies and pursuing them. I think that has a lot of potential, even if it hasn't paid off yet. Yeah. Good. Um, how about biggest mistake this year? Hmm. Biggest mistake. That is a tough one. I mean, if we get it, get into personal, I mean, honestly, there hasn't been much going on from a personal perspective, except for I did move. Um, and I would say, you know, this is, is less so of a, you know, I know these are more of business segment things, but I think the biggest mistake that has affected business has been, we've had a bit of a lapse in childcare. Like that's one that's affected my ability to like, focus entirely on, I mean, obviously you have to balance everything, but just the uncertainty of a, of a schedule and figuring out childcare after moving, we, we should have figured that I think out earlier. And that has had an impact on like, uh, you know, and I don't think you've noticed it on your end too much, but just like the uh, uncertainty of your schedule can feel a little bit like uh, isolating as it relates to work. And I'm sure people with kids in this last year have 
felt this a lot worse than I have. So I'm not really complaining. I'm just, I think a little bit more planning ahead, ahead of the move. So I moved from Chicago where we had great childcare. We had a, a nanny who was like in our bubble and super available to pick up days or flexible to moving to Cleveland where we had a nanny and then it didn't work out and then have somebody who can only do two days a week. And a lot of it has fell, fallen on my wife. So I really can't complain, but just that added stress of like each week looking at what your schedule is for work, what your goals are for work. And then this added layer of like, okay, chunk out this time, chunk out that time. That's been a real challenge. And I wish I, on the personal side, we would have, we had a recruiting company that would have, uh, we didn't go with out of how expensive it was. And I, I wish we would have just bit the bullet then found somebody who is going to be like as stable as we had in Chicago, because it really does have a, a downstream impact in how much anybody can then do both my wife and I can be productive wise at, at work, which is super challenging. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say mine is kind of as the pandemic started, I, I felt like I was maybe too tunnel visioned on like audio and questioning whether that like overly siloed approach was the right one as the pandemic was opening up all these new opportunities and we kind of had the skill set to take advantage of it. So right. I, I wonder if that was, I mean, a bit of a miss on our end, call it, we're like halfway through the pandemic and maybe we should have you know, pivoted what we had to something that would take advantage of the, the headwinds a little bit more. No, this, headwinds? this was going to be my, my other <laughs> response. And so I, cause I, I kind of figure we, we're both in the same boat. We've talked about this, but like, and I've spent some time the last week to think about this and it, I don't think there's too much of a, uh, like a, too much more we could have done other than just looking at sales, like at the actual numbers of, hey, here's the sales. And we kept kind of going back to maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And so I agree with you uh, that this is definitely something we could have done differently. That being said, there's a downside to looking at the sales too sort of myopically, right? Yeah, I, I I don't know. It just feels like there was potentially opportunities that we or I ignored and in, in pursuit of this path that was chosen pre-pandemic. Mm, um, right. True. That my other one was uh, every time Bitcoin goes down, I have this hunch like, oh, it's never going to go below, below like ten thousand again, and I should buy more. And I've kind of chosen not to do that, and obviously Bitcoin just like rocketed up over the weekend. So every time I've not bought more Bitcoin was kind of a mistake on my end. So I feel it is now $31,273.40 to one. Yeah. Do you own Bitcoin or any significant? I do. I do. I I did. So I bought some like a small amount right when it was struggling with 8,000 and I sold it for a small profit. And to be honest, like I just wanted to have cash around uh, we were buying a home. I didn't want to have any, and it wasn't, wasn't enough to really make a difference in buying a home. But like, as somebody who's self-employed going through an underwriting process for mortgages, didn't want to have anything funny going on. So, and then I rebought some right around, what was it at? It was, this was like over a month ago. Yeah. It was right around 17, 18,000. So I just put a little bit back in and that's done really well. It's just, you know, not a, not like a massively meaningful amount. I just, I struggle with it a little bit because it does seem very fickle and it does seem like there will be the fluctuations have been there. Although it does seem like a new era for it in this market, but everything seems weird with the market. It's like a melt up 
and this idea that Bitcoin is sort of a, a, a new gold to, to put your money in, um, that makes sense. And I get the argument, but I also see a lot of people that, and this is where I see it the worst is Twitter is like just, and generally everything around Bitcoin that you read is trash. There's just a lot of weird <laughs> signals. Like I feel like people are trying to pump their own uh, portfolios and it just seems, I don't know, I can't, I can't get my arms around it, but I do believe it's going to continue to rise. And so I, I put some money in there and was lucky enough to do it before this popped up. Yeah, I think currency is just like a classic network effect business where more and more people believe it has value. And I think that's clearly what we're seeing. Like there's only so much Bitcoin, big institutions are trying to move money in. And the only way the price could go from there is up just if there's more demand. Um, it's definitely like a, a pump, a pump and hold, not like a pump mm. and dump as much that's going yeah. on on Twitter and everything. Uh, but I'm a big believer and I... I had like, I started buying pretty early around 500 and then I sold when it shot up to like 16 mm. and then I started buying more. And so I was probably like recklessly too involved as far as like a percent of my net worth, <laughs> but that's uh, you know, proven to be, you know, reasonably good decision at the moment. So it's a bit yeah. of a question, like, do I let it ride or start selling stuff off, but let it ride and then buy some, set up some self-storage units. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> So oh, uh, besides Bitcoin, what's been a, a pleasant surprise of quarantine for you We're uh, in the life section now? Yeah. You know, I, obviously I was just complaining about childcare, but my son has been uh, probably the most pleasant part of, of quarantine is, you know, it is hard to step away from work when things are busy, but he's been a blast. He's uh, now he's 16 months old. He's like talking, you know, lightly. But, um, you know, his first steps and progression, it's just like a really, really fun, fun time. I mean, it comes at the expense of no sleep, which I would say I really wasn't, you know, when we decided to have kids, I wasn't really, uh, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't the one who was like, I really need to have kids. And I wasn't really convinced that it was going to be a great idea, but it has been, it's been really, really fun. And he just continues to, to make me laugh and we have fun and, I would say it, it is, it comes at such a massive price on, on these other things that I used to hold dear, including my sleep, probably my health, but also just like control over, you know, I'm one of those people that has to have kind of control over the work and life are very similar. So it's been a, a, a tough challenge, but it's been worth it. So I'm happy to, to report that's been a happy surprise. And then for me, it's like, so we both lived in Chicago. It became a temporarily walkable city during quarantine, which is pretty oh, yeah. cool. So Chicago shut down some streets. They called them shared streets to cars and then gave them to humans to walk, bike and eat outside in some cases. And I just thought like, that is exactly how should cities should be. They should be built for people, not cars. I'd love for that to be permanent. I mean, I think Chicago's done in COVID kind of a horrible job. Like they shut down the lakefront. There's yeah, no science God. to like back that up of shutting down parks and everything outdoors. Uh, that was super disappointing. And we, we really haven't, or at least in the summer, didn't do enough for restaurants. Like you could easily shut down more streets and let people eat outside. And that's what science yeah. would say is the appropriate route. But I don't know. Uh, it was cool to see it do Chicago as a whole do like for a couple months, a good job of letting people enjoy the city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, man, that was, I mean, we obviously moved and it wasn't because we're, you know, 
some reaction to the city was just literally how do we get closer to family and, and things like that. my wife's family's all in in cleveland but it was it was weird to see i mean we obviously were going to the parks they had signs on them and said don't come in here but you know you've got a, a, a little toddler at home who wants to swing or whatever and everyone else is kind of just going you keep your distance you you know still wore masks at the park but it was weird. All these things were closed, but everyone was clearly using and no one was enforcing this stuff. And maybe that was reckless. And, you know, obviously we don't, didn't know a lot of the, the information about it, but it just felt like a, a, a weird reaction. But I honestly, the way I feel about everything related to COVID, you can't really point fingers. It was very hard to understand. You talk to one person, you get a very different perspective from another person and they're both qualified. It's like very hard to, I think we'll look back on this time as, just a lot of confusion and a lot of the rage about why did he close this, but not that will, will subside over time. But it, I'm sure it's super painful right now for a lot of people that, you know, their core business, like a restaurant owner is affected by it. Mm-hmm. And then how about your biggest bummer of quarantine or COVID? Uh, yeah, I could say it's the same thing. It's like with, um, you know, the main reason we moved was just our son is at a developmental stage where he needs to be around kids. He wants to, he's very socially just kind of came out like that. He loves being around other kids. And that was a bummer too. Uh, and, and again, we weren't even, he's not school age. We, we didn't really, really like suffering like so many other people were. Um, but just that was hard to see. And um, I mean, obviously uh, that was a big main reason why we moved is just to, so we can kind of form a bubble with kids around his age and he can be social. And now that that's reality. It's like, he's able to see his cousin on a regular basis. And it's not like a, you know, illicit thing anymore where it's like, Hey, we're, we're kind of traveling to Cleveland to see somebody where before that's kind of how it was. And we'd have to quarantine. And now we kind of have this, uh, this bubble, but yeah, that was, that was a little hard. And, and again, other people had it much worse. So thinking about and hearing the stories of, you know, kids that were potty trained that regressed or kids that were, you know, getting to a certain reading level, but have regressed. And so that that's probably been the, the hardest thing to kind of grapple with. And so I love that yours are all heartfelt about your son and mine, mine are like the most <laughs> selfish things possible. But <laughs> so continuing in that vein, uh, my biggest bummer of quarantine has been uh, basketball. So I went from playing yeah. like two to three times a week to not touching a ball in like a year. Um, so that was like kind of my third place, right? You have your you have the office, you have home. And then I always went to like the gym and it was like a social thing. And like, that's where I got out and kind of ran around, but lost that. So hopefully, you know, 2021 be able to do that again, but yeah. And like, you don't replace like basketball is such a great workout. You've got to replace it with like, I don't even know what you could do at home to even just physically only not to say there's all these other aspects to it, but just like cardio plus i don't even know what you like plyometrics i mean all the the jumping around and stuff it's like there's no replacing that there's nothing you'd want to do that's as fun as playing for what i mean you probably play for an hour so if there's nothing you're going to do just (laughs) do a ten thousand jumping jacks and whatever else i don't know how you replace it oh it's horrible yeah my my college teammate used to always call it running with fun like that, that is what basketball (laughs) is (laughs) is it a an adult it's not really uh uh, it's frowned upon to just, you know, frolic in the park or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's too bad. Uh, so how about your best habit picked up during COVID? So it was the Peloton. It was working out every day, 45 minutes. Like I got really into the power zone training. Unfortunately it, 
I, you know, I had this like weird reaction to in my hip. And so I had to stop, but I really got into a, a pretty good eating and, uh, working out schedule, really good schedule, like every single day doing something. Uh, I, it ended up being the Peloton out of laziness. Cause you know, trying to, you know, the gyms opened a little bit and I did it, I think it went four or five times and it felt safe at first. And then it, you know, didn't feel as safe. So I stopped going there, but, um, I did get into a pretty good like health system where I was working out pretty regularly and that felt great. And it showed up in everything else. Like was way more productive, was eating better. And my weight got into a pretty manageable thing. And I'm just going to lump it in with sort of the other side of the, the, we'll do them together. The best habit, the worst habit, I, you know, the worst habit that picked up after that was I was burning so many calories. I was justifying drinking more. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll start, you know, having a beer which always leads to another beer and then probably another beer and then bad sleep. And then just kind of this weird cycle of, you know, drinking coffee to recover in the morning, maybe eating something crappy in the morning and then working out was the point in which the day I've kind of felt better again and would start to, to do better. But those are, I think a lot of people are, are ran into the same thing where you end up working out more, but you end up kind of like self-destructing a little bit more too. Oh yeah. I think alcohol home sales are up like 40% or something uh, very, mm. very high. I, I, that was my worst habit as well is like, I'm not a big drinker, but I kind of like that like 5 PM or whatever, end of the workday, single beer or wine habit. And I think it's really easy to fall into these maybe bad habits and hard to break out of them. So I have since broken out of it. I don't, you know, have an urge for that every day, but that was my worst habit. My best habit by far was it was around like the end of January, 2020, where I decided like, I'm going to move from consumption to creation on Twitter and just kind of consistently tweet every morning around 9am. And that has been very, very fruitful, like, especially as the world kind of shut down. So I removed my location from you know Twitter and everything. And I'm just like a digital native. And it's mm. pretty easy as long as you start creating, like very few people are creating on Twitter to connect with kind of everyone you aspire to uh, that you see on like uh, tech or VC Twitter. So that is something I want to double down on as well in this coming year. Uh, I think everyone should do it. You know, it takes time before your like tweets start getting noticed. But once you hit a certain number of followers, it becomes you know pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed you, you met up with you, Andrew Wilkinson. You were able to catch up with him over the uh, course of the year, which is uh, when did you write that article? You sort of wrote an article and I, we were both familiar with him. He seems like a really interesting character, but you wrote an article that was sort of an analysis of his approach to investing. Is that, is that right? Or operating too as well? Yeah. I called it an operating manual. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I take quite a bit of notes in Rome and other things. And it was more like just, I thought his, his holding company approach is like adjacent to our startup studio approach. I think it's really compelling. And so I just basically open source my notes and he happened to be coming to town in Chicago and, you know, we grabbed food. It was really good to catch up with him. He's a good dude. I love his approach. He's kind of trying to be the, like a Warren Buffett of internet companies, like the nice mm. guy in private equity. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, I really aspire to do some of the stuff that he's doing. And uh, it, the article has got a lot of inbound for me of like people interested in it in the studio approach. So that's been fun. That's killer. That's killer. I think we should probably pause there. I feel like we covered a lot. Any, any of these other last ones you want to cover? These are like maybe rapid fire and less important though. 
Yeah, about, let's see. Uh, you go go for it. You got some? Well, I'd say New Year's resolution is kind of an interesting <laughs> one, or wildest predictions for 2021. Like yeah, those are good. Let's hear yours. You go first. So on the workout front, like I'm pretty good about working out, but I used to plan more. So I'd love to just plan every Sunday. Like these are my workouts for the week. And I'm going to, you know, weight lift three days, yoga two days, and like, I don't know, Peloton or something else one day and just stick to that week by week. Um, so planning workouts more and then tweeting. I, I just want to get back to the one a day thing and hmm. creating more content in the world is kind of my, my thought there. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's similar to mine. I mean, I, I, my main thing is just cut way back and I don't think I will entirely stop drinking, but I'm going to cut way back. Like the, and I, I did this for a while during 2020 and I felt better and I'm just going back to it. It's just no drinking during the week or really during, on the weekends, even if let's, you know, I'm not going to, there are situations that I find myself in like, uh, you know, celebrating something or going to a wedding. Maybe I'll drink then. I don't know. I'm just trying to cut that way back. That's, that's something that it just doesn't have a net positive anymore. It, it mm -hmm. I don't know that it ever did. It's just, I felt like I could recover a lot easier. It wasn't a big deal to, you know, drink a bunch and wake up in the morning. It just didn't affect me, but I'm old getting old and it's, <laughs> it, it does. And so I'm just not it, it, it. Speaking of which my wife hasn't drank for like, I think five years now she's been sober and not for any other reason than she's just like, yeah, just doesn't feel so good the next day. And got to remember that. So that's, the thing I'm going to keep on in the front of my mind is just, it feels terrible the next day. So it's not worth it. As far as like, go ahead. yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask what, what are your wildest predictions for 2021? Wildest prediction. Let's see. And on a fun than, note. Yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin hitting what hundred thousand. That's actually not that wild as of right now that I thought it was like a week ago, but I feel like that is going to be one of these crazy stories where we see you know the value you're gonna we're gonna they have a, a smaller uh unit of measurement isn't the satoshi it's like 0.001 bitcoin yeah and we're gonna see that start to be used i think we're gonna eventually see that that number increase but i'm not even like trying to pump bitcoin i think that is gonna be something we're gonna see cryptocurrency become adopted by average people and in institutions they're gonna normalize it and there probably is going to be some sort of fed involvement that comes through there and the other wild prediction and or more so hope i think we're going to see some either a massive change in social media i really think that after the election and based on the zaniness of the, the news and the people that are broadcasting so much false rhetoric out there through facebook through twitter i think we're going to see some major changes there at least i hope i think i don't I'm not advocating for one way or another. I just think something needs to change. And that's what I'd really like to see is um, some shifts in how like the law regards what you post online. I do feel like there needs to be some, some form of accountability around like the crazy, crazy stuff that I read people post. And a lot of them are family members that are like, Oh, you know, aunt so-and-so believes this about, QAnon it's like oh, oh my god like it just feels like it shouldn't be legal like the, there was in the FCC if you were on the radio saying this stuff you, you would probably get in trouble I don't know but I feel like there's going to be either a consolidation there or a major shift um, that's my wild prediction for for 2021 
I think that's a good one. I actually wrote Bitcoin 100K. It's funny you said that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I, I do think it seems more and more likely, like it's just going to rocket upwards. Like the total market size of it is not that big yet. Um, and it seems like that is where things are trending. My other big one is just like, I think in the next few months, everyone that wants a vaccine is going to get a vaccine. And then the summer is going to just be a huge party. Like whether yeah. people all have vaccines or not, it's going to be nice outside. A lot of people have vaccines. So I already have a bunch of friends that seem to be planning weddings in the summer. So mm. I, I think it's going to be like the roaring 20s, a lot of pent up energy. I can't wait. I'm excited. I have a lot, a lot of friends from my background, musicians, people that I've been catching up with that are just struggling. And I, I think it'll be great to see them get back to work. And like the whole cultural aspect of what the United States is, is, is really powerful. And even just movie studios, like, and I, I don't think when I think culture, I don't think of movies, but just all the things that go along with like, you know, what our, our real value to the world is and our, our main export, which I think is culture. It's like seeing that return to normal, I think will be great. And all the things that go along with it, whether it's, you know, going to bars and stuff like that or restaurants or stupid stuff that, you know, maybe doesn't seem like it has value actually does have a lot of importance. It'll be great to see it return. It'll be nice. It's a, uh, it's like weird watching all these movies where it's like weddings and, you know, nice cozy <laughs> bars. And there's just so much nostalgia for that. And they look like period pieces now, right? It just, that yeah. world doesn't exist. So it'll be good to yeah. get back. Um, but I guess let's cut it off. We don't want to go too long. Um, well, thanks for everyone that's listened. I think this has been fun. Be a good yeah. Year. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.